The Returning Podcast show was created to gather a group of Christian friends and their guests to talk about their lives and the lives of countless others that have been radically transformed after encountering Jesus Christ. These are stories of men and women who have often turned away from lives of crime, addiction and self-destruction to new lives of restoration, peace, real hope and authentic joy. Our passion is to help shine a light in the darkest places, into the bedrooms of the brokenhearted and living rooms of the lost and lonely. Our stories and the stories of countless others will hopefully serve as a message of hope to those who feel hopeless. When Jesus was asked, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? He answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's in Luke chapter 5 verse 32. In each episode, we talk about the navigation back to a life of purpose and meaning through the meeting of Jesus Christ, often through his believers. This is the good news spoken about in the Bible. We discuss the pitfalls, lessons and victories that have been learned and we are still learning along the way. This podcast references and unpacks the Bible, utilizing its verses as a source of instruction, wisdom and truth to those who have run out of answers trying to do life the world's way. We hope it will serve as a signpost to those who are lost and want to be found. Welcome to the Returning Podcast Show. Welcome to the first episode of the Returning Podcast. We decided that we were going to get the core members of this podcast group together to launch it. It's almost like a pilot episode. And in that pilot episode, we're going to talk about how we've all met over the years, going back a couple of years ago now. And we decided that we're going to talk about each of our backstories and how God brought us together. So my name is Mark Reed Williams, and I'm part of a group of guys that have a similar story, really. We all come from a background of addiction, a background of being lost and lonely, and basically our lives over a period of time had had slowly eroded into a life of despair, really. And I'm here today with my good friends, Gary Twin and Ian Skinner. Hello. We just wanted to, to start by just talking about our stories, how we come together. And we're going to sort of start, I suppose, from working at the end and working backwards. I think that's the best way we're going to do it. So we're going to start with Gary's story because his story is interwoven into Ian's story, into my story, and Michael and Claire as well, who's not here at the moment. And basically, we come across Gary, how long ago now? Two years and a few months. But do you want to tell us a bit more about how you come across Michael? Yeah, sure. So I was on a train coming back from Harlow, a town in Essex. I'd just been in for one of my several... um, in hospital detoxes for alcohol dependency and on this particular occasion I decided that uh, I didn't want to be there and I actually wanted to go and take my own life so I discharged myself which involved me ripping out a cannula from my own arm going to the off license just around the corner from the hospital buying some vodka and getting myself on a train with the intention of going to take my own life 
On that train journey, I saw a, a guy rolling a cigarette. I went and asked him for a cigarette and he gave me a whole pouch of tobacco rather than just a, a fag. So I said, do you want some Liberium? Liberium <laughs> being the detox medication I had just stashed away from the hospital when they were giving me more than I actually needed. I was purposely sneaking them into a pot and I'd stashed enough up to take home and, you know, do whatever I needed to do with them. So I offered them to Michael um, and he turned them away and said, have you been on a detox by any chance? Oh, how do you know? Because that's the medication they give you in a hospital. Right, okay. So oh, we knew about that. Yeah, I was busted pretty quickly. <laughs> Takes on to no one, doesn't it? <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Michael declined my offer of Librium, but still continued to uh, be generous and give me some tobacco. So we got chatting about why I was having a hospital detox. I told him about my alcohol dependency, and he cut me quite short and said, look, I used to be a heroin and crack user and I was on the down and out for, well, Michael will tell you how many years, but he, I'm sure he said somewhere around 20, around the 20 year mark, I think. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so instantly that, that caught my attention because it's relatable, um, which is kind of where we're, we're hoping to head with this podcast. Um, we want people to be able to relate to us. So instantly I knew that there was there was something that I could relate to in this man. Um, and it, it boiled down to the fact that we were both addicts and, uh, yeah. So he, he got chatting about that and I could tell he wasn't intoxicated. He could tell I probably was. And he said to me that he got saved through the power of Jesus. He, Did you know who Jesus was at this point? I knew who Jesus was or was meant to be. Yeah. Whether or not I actually believed in the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus was a different matter. I thought it was a bit of a gimmick to, yeah. to ever think that Jesus was an existent human being, right? let alone the son of God. And then the most far-fetched thing I'd ever heard was that he could save a, a man 2,000 years later from their current affairs in addiction. What would, what's your thoughts on that, Ian? Because obviously when you were introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was your your thoughts on it? I was a non-believer. It was, I came to Christ as my last hope. As my last hope, really. I've been an addict for the best part of 40 years. I knew Jesus was the son of God and right. had died on the cross through through my early days of, of, of being at school, at a C of E school. But did you think it was just like a crazy... I, I thought it was more fantasy. Right, You okay. know, and, and it was a book that was sort of like a bit of a, a tale, you know, but... The more I've got, the more I've learned about Christ and everything is built. The Bible is factual. That perception of of you know the before and after. Yeah. So before you know what the truth is, I was an atheist for a yeah. long time. So I was like, you know, this but, is a load of nonsense. It, do you it, know what I mean? If I'm brutally honest, um, during my addiction, there was many a time where, where if I was in jail. Uh, or, or there's times where I've been laying at home on my bed and I have cried out for God's help. Yeah. So I suppose in a way, I, I say I wasn't a believer, but really there was that bit in the back of me because every time I went to jail, there was a Bible in myself. Yeah. <laughs> there was a Bible, but in the little, the one thing they did give you was a set of rosary beads. Oh, did and, they? Yeah, and a Bible. Yeah, I suppose the rosary beads if you're Catholic and uh, 
Oh, I didn't realise that. There was always a little Bible, and uh, I'll be honest, I'd always have a little look at it. <laughs> oh, fair play. But never tell no one. It's just interesting just getting this yeah. perception, because a lot of the, the people listening will have this perception. Mm. What a load of rubbish this is. Do you know mm. what I mean? And we all come from, our background is, you know, like I said, mm. I was an atheist, sorry, mm. not anymore. We've all come from a background of addiction and crime. Yeah, and just self-loathing and despair and mm. isolation and all the things that come with the existence that a lot of people are going through. Yeah, and I'd say self-destruction is a word that comes yeah. to mind. On that note, self-destruction, let's get back to you, mate. Talk us through, because this is the interesting bit, I think, for people out there that are either in the grips of addiction or living a life of isolation, a life of loneliness, a life of despair. Take us back to how sort of drifted into that life of alcoholism. So mass addiction and that level of addiction doesn't just come overnight. It, no, it, it no. manifests over a, a period of time, normally a few years for, you know, your average person to, but I started using drugs and drinking, blimey, like properly using them and really getting a taste for them when I was 11. My brain hadn't even developed into a teenager. I was fully a minor when I started dabbling in that stuff. And then the use of cannabis really took a hold on me. I wasn't so much a drinker at that time. It was more, I loved smoking weed. And that in itself became a bit of an issue over the next few years. And I started taking drugs like magic mushrooms and ecstasy. What age um, do you start taking ecstasy? Because ecstasy is quite an interesting drug. But um, I want to say around 14, 15. Yeah, that's I quite a common was, age, I think. Yeah. Um, Magic Mushrooms was sooner. They were legal when they really? were legal in the UK <laughs> to buy from shops. Up until I think when I was, t till I was about 14, 15. But I took them when I was 12 or 13. I took wow. some Magic Mushrooms. And I really got a taste for psychedelics. I liked go into a, almost another realm of existence i've always had that kind of explorative mind adventurous mind yeah that was never satisfied with things of this world so i like to go into a, another plane of existence to try and find excitement over the years of dabbling with that and the ecstasy and smoking cannabis daily you know i, I didn't really go to school other than to take drugs or sell drugs um so from a young age i was dabbling in that stuff as well and then that turned into the use of other party chemicals and all sorts of cocktails and nonsense um, throughout my late teens. Into my early 20s, I started using a lot of ketamine. That's where I really started to like to isolate because ketamine being a... I don't know much about ketamine, I've got to be honest, so educate me on that so one. So ketamine is a disassociate chemical obviously they use it in medical practice people think it's it's used for horses they're right but it's actually a mammal tranquilizer used for trauma patients so say you've broken your ankle and your bone sticking through your leg and you're having panic attacks they'll probably give you a, a shot of intramuscular ketamine on site to sort of disassociate you with the fact that your bone is hanging out of your leg yeah, so it it's a tranquilizer. It disassociates you with reality, which is why it has such an appeal as a recreational substance because essentially you can get different effects from it, but predominantly it's a drug used to escape. It's an escapism tool, and that's where it falls into its, its dangers because you can become quite content with 
piling a load of this powder up your nose or injecting yourself with this powder in some cases and you soon become a recluse and quite happy to be a recluse you know i, I was using that for a long time it got to the point where i was sniff, sniffing seven grams a day um in amongst drinking in the evenings but i was still holding down a job which is this is not a glamorization of this no i know i know that feeling though but this is my life and I thought I was functioning fine and to an extent I was. That period of time is when my first for alcohol became a, a thing and it really did become prominent because I like to be uh, sedated and I also like to be a bit more fun on a night out or what I thought was fun. So a lot of drink would get me to a place of not having any social barriers which in a sense can be a beneficiary to social aspects of your life, but at the same time, you actually just turn into a bit of a nightmare. And that drinking got worse and worse um, throughout my 20s. And then towards the end of my my 20s was when lockdown hit. And I was kind of dabbling in drugs, like prescription drugs and, and drink together and still using illegal drugs as well. But drink was so easy to get hold of obviously yeah at any time of day any time of night and as soon as lockdown hit that's when it became a problem and we were all isolated anyway and i met a girl and we isolated together and we were both alcoholic so that's right. where it really became an issue because we could hide away and yeah. drink as much as we needed to yeah. it's interesting that with with alcohol well there's a couple of things you mentioned there I think that are going to come up time and time again. The first one, obviously, is lockdown. I know Ian, you, during lockdown. Yeah, I can truly say lockdown saved my life. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, because I had a neighbour, Claire, and she'd sort of like gone on about Jesus and, and all this sort of stuff. And I used to think, I don't know if I believe, you know. I knew there was some substance to it. but And then when the lockdown come for me, I was just taking more and more drugs and I had friends coming round. I had friends coming round to my flat and I was drinking loads. And um, by the September, it brought me to my knees. Right. And uh, the, the, I, I, that's when I started coming to church. Because there was no, what's the word I'm looking for? No boundaries to stop you. I mean, lockdown was... No, I still had, if anything, we had more... Uh, Lockdown's I weird, isn't it? Because you were just left to your own devices. Yeah, and I, had you more could just... drugs, I had more drugs around me. I had a payout from the government. So I had £5,000. That just all went on cocaine. And uh, I had two drug dealers coming to my house every day. I wasn't supposed to, yeah. but we used to have a party around my my little right. flat every day. It's mad, every day, isn't it? yeah. But the good side of it was for me; it brought me to the Lord. Yeah, and we're come, we're going to come back to that because it's quite mm. interesting that for you, for you, for you, Gary, you spiraled deeper into despair, and for you, Ian, it brought you out of it in yeah. the end. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. fascinating. It brought me to my knees. Yeah. It, I, I think you got it. It brought me to the point of. I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. And, and that's and, a common theme as well. Look. Yeah, I, I had nowhere to go. And I really, I, I was waking up every day. I was, I was so unhappy. I wanted to take my life. And all I kept getting was this voice, go to church, go to church. And I went and knocked on my neighbours. Well, I see her down, the, down, walking through the park one day. And I just went up to her and said, I'll, I'll come into church with you Sunday. And she had the disbelief on her face. If, if I could have had a camera and took a picture, it was like, whoa. Well, expecting went, it. Yeah, no, and I went. Yeah, and it's the best decision. I mean, in your, uh, your life, obviously I know about your life, 
it's just mm. unbelievable you actually sat here to be honest with you going back to you gary about this spiral in my life i never had somebody to actually partner with to take drugs or back in the days when i was in university you know we used to take drugs together but as, as a group but i never had like a girlfriend that i did that with and you've both experienced that haven't you you're feeding into each other's habit i suppose yeah. yes. it's a strange remark because yeah every relationship i had you know throughout my life me and my partners we all used drugs and we all drank mm. alcohol so it was the norm but like you say you do feed on each other and it's almost it's a comfort because you think i'm not as bad as them or mm. i'm okay because they're doing it as well and it's a really dangerous mindset to get into, especially when you're trying to build a loving relationship upon it. And then when yeah. kids get involved, like as for my story in particular, I had a child through lockdown well, and that just had this, this mad dynamic to, to our situation. And, you know, it caused a lot of heartache, it caused a lot of drama for our families and for us, obviously. And for my daughter that had only just been born, it, you know, it was not, a wholesome way to bring a child into this world throughout the period after when lockdown had lifted and you know we were all trying to get to a sense of normality or if you can call life that in general but you, you know what i mean um, it was a crazy time it was a crazy time but i by that point was a fully fledged alcohol dependent man mm. and i had no job i had work coming in here and there but i was trying to sustain an existence not a life it was an existence that the, the main focus of my day was drinking because I had to. When you get to a stage of alcoholism, and I'm sure there's people that are going to listen to me speak right now somewhere in, in the world that can relate to this pretty much word for word, the first thing on your mind is what are you going to drink? How are you going to get it? Yeah. Is it already there? Are you capable of getting up to even get that drink? Yeah, no, that you know, thing, yeah. it, it's a very vicious, evil place to be. Um, the cycle is, there's not even words to describe how bad it is because you know the stuff that is keeping you alive is also killing you. Yeah. You know the stuff that you need is maybe a walk down the shop away, but you can't physically get up to walk because you have no alcohol in your system. So it's a catch-22. You can't ring an ambulance because you can't pick your phone up to use the dial or you can't ring a friend to go and try and get you some drink to stabilize yourself. And you get further and further into this addiction and you need to start popping pills and taking all sorts of stuff to try and take you away from that. In reality, you're killing yourself, but also in reality, it's keeping you alive. I used to have like cycles where I would go on benders is the best way to describe it, mm -hmm. um, where I would drink an obscene amount of alcohol and then I get to sort of, I don't know, maybe eight, nine o'clock at night where I was in a sort of, you, you get to like, you're in like a, a merry state or a, a comfortable state where you're not feeling really dog rough ill. Mm -hmm. You know, you just get a sweet spot for a couple of hours. And then in that time, you're, you're telling yourself, that's it now. I'm not going to drink anymore. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and that's the end of it. And then, but the reality is that once you've fallen asleep through, drinking so much alcohol and then you wake up eight hours later the alcohol has already started leaving your system and you feel awful the following morning oh yeah 
And the reality is what you do, if you've got the money, is you go to the shop and you start the process again. Because the, the thought of drying out and what it does to your body is so awful. Do you think, well, the easiest option is to just go and get some more alcohol? Yeah. And that repeats itself day after day after day after day after day after day after day. And eventually, you know, if you're going to dry out, you have to somehow, you know, I'd, I'd go through peaks and troughs where I'd have, you know, seasons of being dry, six months, maybe three months, what have you. But I knew that when I'd fall, fall off the wagon, it would, you know, I'd go on a bender for two, three weeks and just have to keep feeding that addiction because of how awful you felt. Yeah. Did you find that? Did you, you know, that? Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of mental implications as well. Yeah, so, that's a you know, whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't just physical for me. It was um, anxieties, uh, depressions, all sorts of stuff going on upstairs that I used to use alcohol to suppress, to mask, suppress, yeah. mask, you know, escape from. And I thought that I'd sort of found the answer and I, I was sustaining life like it. So I thought, you know, I could get away with doing this every day. It was when I was physically unable to operate as a human being without alcohol that I knew I'd really crossed the line that I didn't personally think there was any any answer to. I thought, well, I, I've I've done it now, you know. I started seeing um psychiatrists for, to try and get the mental side of me sorted out. I started mm. going to different doctors and, you know, I had seventeen detoxes in hospital, which is an obscene amount. Um, 17 separate occasions 17 separate occasions wow. some i lasted the duration of the week some they tried to keep me in and i discharged myself some i had the full detox but was drinking vodka whilst on the drips and taking the librium so i wasn't even detoxing i was having detox drugs whilst drinking neat vodka in a hospital that's how it got for me got... i think people will be able to relate to that most probably uh, unfortunately yeah i met a few people in hospital um, when you're on a heptatic heptatic liver unit ward, and what got, is that? Just so. So basically, that is a a ward in the hospital where people have um, disease of the liver, of the pancreas, um, places where is nine times out of ten it is an alcoholic in the bed next to you, or right. someone that's suffering from liver failure. It's a really, really disturbing place to be but you kind of get an insight into where you're going if you carry on drinking. And I'd had, you know, the doctors coming up to me and saying, look, you've got alcoholic hepatitis. This is kind of irreversible if you don't sort it out. And then the next day, because of what they've just told me, and it's freaked me out, I've gone out of the hospital for what I say is just a cigarette to the nurses right walked up to the off license with a cannula hanging out my arm and bought a litre of vodka smuggled it back in and then I drink to suppress the thought that I've made myself ill and then do you know what I mean it's this yeah. really weird deception it's a spiritual thing it goes beyond mental and physical to not be able to come to terms with reality <laughs> so you escape it by damaging yourself further do you believe that your spirit can be affected by your addiction yes so this is why i brought it up so i think it okay. is an important uh point to be bringing up at an early stage because as human beings we are made up of three 
parts. We are and this mind, is, body, spirit. This is interesting because I'm glad you've actually brought it up now because I think you're right. It's, it needs to be, you set your stall out early doors with this because a lot of people won't understand that. People will think that they're just a human being of flesh and blood. Go on, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to so, interrupt you. You know, it's a lot of times people do overlook the fact that we are a, a being of spirit, mind, and body. Okay. Um, the, modi- the body and the mind, sorry, are very much flesh, but then the spirit within us, it, it can influence our mind and our, our physical. So to have an unhealthy spirit is probably more the, the reason people get physically and mentally ill these days than they actually come to realize. So addiction is normally a defect of the spirit. Right. That comes through your, your spirit being lost, being unhappy. I know it's a bit deep for the first episode, but it's important that we focus on the fact that this podcast is about how God has saved us. Yes. And that is through spiritual and divine intervention. Yes. It's not of this world. And yes, that's a bit out there to say it, but that is is the fact of this. No, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, and I thought I might as well touch on it early because where my testimony is concerned, I had lost all hope of anything mm. saving me, let alone God, which I thought was just completely and utterly mad. But going back to when I met Michael on the train and instantly I see an addict healed through something right. that I didn't trust in, I didn't believe in. I knew the concept of it, but I didn't trust or believe in it. But he had planted a seed there. I didn't take it for granted what he said. But I didn't also very much trust what what he was telling me. But I thought, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He said that he wanted to bring me to church to meet the family, he called them, which was obviously the brothers and the sisters at the church. It's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't really for the idea, but it also deterred me from what I was going to go back to my my safe house to do. I was in a sheltered accommodation in a place called Bishop Stortford um, at that time. Right. So I went back there and rather than going and doing what I was planning on doing, I actually sat and thought about what he had said. Do you think that was a divine intervention? Almost? 100%. 100%. Coincidence is normally explainable if we actually think about it. Um, yeah. Sometimes it really isn't easy to explain until you bring god into the equation right yeah 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 (laughs) and looking at it now it's a hundred percent there's no ifs or buts it that was divine intervention but even at the time i knew something just wasn't right about it um to to be able to explain of of this work because it was just too perfect we've all and this is why we're doing this podcast that we're trying to reach listeners where they are Mm -hmm. whether it's in their bedroom the living room people out there that aren't necessarily going to come to church for whatever reason it could be that they don't know anybody who goes to church or they don't live near a church or they feel the shame of walking into a church because they've got perception that people religious people judge people and religious people do judge people but this we're trying to reach people who are lost and lonely where they are and that's why we're doing this podcast but we've all experienced divine intervention i think the three of us sat here we've all you know for whatever reason and there is a certain amount of mystery behind this why some people 
have these divine moments like you with Michael on the bus, like you with Claire being your next door neighbor, like me, somebody came to my place of work, which is a, a pub on a mountain in South Wales and actually invited me to church. Do you know what I mean? And we'll talk about that at a later date. But there is these critical moments that you're almost like God is searching for you, plucking you from obscurity. And I truly believe that, do you know what I mean? It's, and it talks about it in the Bible a lot as well, do you know what I mean? Jesus in the New Testament often spoke in parables, which were a way of explaining to the congregation or to the people he was talking to in a more metaphorical way, in language that they can understand. And there is one parable. We all three of us felt that this was the most appropriate, poignant parable to talk about in this first episode and it's the parable of the lost sheep and it's in matthew chapter 18 verse 12 to 14 it says if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away what will he do this is jesus speaking by the way won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost and if he finds it i tell you the truth he will rejoice over it more than over the other 99 that didn't wander away in the same way it is not my heavenly father's will that any one of these little ones should perish now i think that's quite poignant when you look at that in a modern day and you convert the sheep to people who are lost like anybody listening to this in their their flat or their bedroom or their living room go for it i'd just like to say when mark's talking about that there's another verse in the bible which says come as you are and it means uh, just to come however however sick however ill you are you are welcome in God's house and you will get help. Mm. You know, don't be put off and think that everybody's well that goes to church. Because that was my perception. I thought people like me can't go to church, you know, an addict. I've been in jail, lived a bad life. And I just thought everybody's got it together at church, but they haven't. They haven't. So I just say to anyone, don't be put off or be sh let shame or guilt get in the way. You'll be received as a person and you will, you will find the love of God if you come to church. That is well said. And like you said, you know, the life that you've lived, if anybody was going to think you would never be received mm. in the church, it'd be yourself. I thought I'd catch fire if I walked into a church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can all relate to that. Yeah, we can, yeah. No, but no, you're right though, Ian. There's it is perception and there's a perception. Well, it is, we're all full I, of... I thought this, but my particular church, if you're broken, we're, Jesus came for the broken people. It came for the people that were, were addicted, you know, mental health, sick. I just put it out to anyone because this was, was what held me back for a long, long time. It took me a long time to come to church. And I just get, say to anyone, just come, come as you are, and you will be received and you'll be treated as a normal person, whether you're addicted or ill or sick. I know in my, my experiences, you will receive the love of God. You've just got to trust and surrender and give it to God, and he will help you. He will help you as he's helped all three of us sitting here today. We've all got Yeah, stories. he meets you where you are. Yeah, yeah. There's a misconception with, with the whole gospel, I suppose, but if you ever took the time to read, especially the New Testament in the Bible, Jesus, his disciples, talked about reaching the lost, reaching people where they are. He, at the end of the day, died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing we could ever do to get to heaven on our own because we're all, let's face we're all flawed and we will continue to be flawed in this life you know we will always fall short at the end of the day 
it's something that we need to come to terms with. The love of God, as much as you want to run away from it, a human being, a, as a non-believing human, we're kind of scared of the whole God concept and that, you know, God's this judgmental character that wants to punish us. It, it doesn't paint, society doesn't paint the best picture of God. We see religion doesn't religion yeah society religion whatever have you but i can one for say that when i went to the church and i went reluctantly with michael for the first time i was so drunk when i went into that church i that was the only way i could physically get myself there because i wasn't prepared to to enter into a church one sober i couldn't really be sober in general but that whole concept of going into a church was terrifying so i thought any way i'm going to get through them doors is to be drunk i met michael as much as i tried to not go i i went to the church but the first thing that struck me was it wasn't a traditional stone building it was far from it it was uh just a normal center the carpets and normal walls not not big stone walls and not big organs and stuff like that. And yeah, what really struck me was the love. As soon as I got through them doors, the love that was poured upon me from the people of that church. Which church was it? It was um, the Bishop Stalford Community Church, the Charis Centre. Okay. And yeah, I, it blew me away because at first I thought, nah, this is, there's something fake about this. These people, they can't be, they can't be this genuine. Surely, because all I know is a dog-eat-dog world of people wanting to get stuff from me or what can I do from them? What have I got that they might want? No one wants to be genuinely, you know, outgoing and nice to me. Yeah. That's just what... So I I entered into this place of love and fellowship and friendship and, you know, they were concerned about me. I thought, ah, it's... This is all right for a one-time thing, but I can't see me coming back anyway. For the next weeks, months that followed, I was still having to get very much intoxicated to bring myself to go to church. But what was happening as I went, the love for me wasn't changing. People were very patient with me, even though they knew kind of what I was up to. Um, yeah. But they, they saw something and they had hope for me, which well, I didn't that, even have uh, myself. That's interesting. That what you've just mentioned there is people having hope for you. Because in the world, people don't live hopeful lives. So for you, having only ever known that environment, to walk into an environment where people are, one, hopeful of your healing and restoration, and two, you know, showering you with, with love, that must have been quite alien to you. Yeah, it was It was alien. It, as much as I wanted to accept it and be happy about that that being the case i was very cautious and a bit i don't know a bit defensive i used to get a bit angry about yep. it to be honest i thought nah these people are fake you can't you can't be this happy and yeah, yeah you know i'm i'm this addict i'm this alcoholic i'm this mess i by this point i really was a mess i was not in a good way um but people would not turn their back on me it's almost like i wanted them to but they wouldn't they were persistent on getting me to church hooking me up with the right contacts i've met some friends for life 
not just through the church, but through the people of the church, you know, introducing me to all sorts of people. And it it was just a consistency and the persistency of that church and the people not giving up that ultimately got me where, where I needed to be. And that's where I met, well, I'd met you, Mark. Yep. And I'd met John for the people listening. John is one of the elder of the congregation that has stuck by me through thick and thin was one of the, uh, the men that always made sure I showed up to the church when I needed to be there and I didn't really want to be there. He's a great guy, but he was very persistent with, very persistent. with helping you and still yeah. is this day. Um, yeah. He's still a very good friend of mine. And we, um, you know, we've got some exciting things planned for the future. Um, but I met Claire and Ian. And this is interesting. This is where their lives intersect, isn't it? Is, because yeah, this is obviously Ian point. is here with us yeah. now. He's part of this band of brothers and you met Ian. The group we had on at the time, we had a we had a sort of fellowship group, didn't we, called Loom? And Ian, you came to that, didn't you? My first experience of meeting Gary was at the Caris. I'd been to a church in Ware for six months, left there, and then I, I knew knew about the Caris. It was somewhere different for us. And Michael, one day, me and Claire was in there, and he goes, "I've got, I want, so, I want you to meet someone." And then he just brought Gary over. And he could see, I just, I looked at Gary and I just looked, he could, I looked into his eyes and I see the sadness and, you know, there's a person in there trying to get out. Yeah. And I just, I connected with Gary straight away. I had this connection. I thought, I'm going to help that man. I want to help that man. And you did. You yeah. did indeed. Yeah. So Claire, I think Claire introduced herself to me. If I'm yeah. speaking of this through someone that was pretty much unable to walk that night. So yeah. it's, it's a somewhat, Cloudy. I can help you. I can uh, fill in the gaps. You you can fill the gaps. (laughs) So the the reason I say Claire and Ian is because predominantly I remember meeting Claire because she explained that she was an alcoholic. Yeah. And that's the first memory I had of meeting someone that night was was Claire because she said she had been an alcoholic. She was trying to drink herself to death. She'd come to, you know, be saved through through Jesus and through um, rehabilitation, I do believe. That's, that's how, how it panned out. And then I met Ian the same night. Um, Ian explained to me his his life story and that, that you know, he, he had also come to sobriety through, through Jesus. And then that's where my night turned into a bit of a, a wild one. Um, next thing I know, I've got, prayer being spoken over me and then the next thing i know i'm filling out an application form for a rehabilitation center on behalf of ian and claire wanting to get me there and i agreed to all this stuff completely unaware that i what what i was really doing it was an interesting evening because we used to run a group on a, a tuesday and then it turned to a thursday night called loom which was basically a group for for people who come from this sort of life, a life of addiction. Sometimes it would be mental health. Sometimes it would just be lonely and just searching for something. It was quite transient in its nature because people would come and go and you'd see people and then they, you know, you wouldn't see them for three months or four months and then they'd just turn up again. But it was always on. And Michael had spoken to myself and John about getting Gary to come. So Gary had started coming. I remember when you first started coming, you always used to come with a load of cans in you. You had a big hoodie on and you used to have like alcohol on you. I don't know what you, what you were drinking at the time, but you always used to have this big hoodie and in the bit in the middle, you'd keep your cans and stuff like that. 
And the meeting used to last about an hour and a half, two hours tops. And I always used to think, come here, and he's fairly sober. And by the time you'd left, you'd be like completely sozzled, do you know what I mean? uh, Yeah. But that was, that particular night, you turned, we'd, I can't, did I come and get you? I can't remember. Yeah, so I think uh, I I wasn't intended on coming that night. Oh, that was it. You come and got you. Yeah. We come and got you from Faxted. Yeah, you was paralytic drunk. Because um, I, I always remember, I thought, oh, I'm one of these people that just, you know, as I said, come as you are. And I said to Claire, get him in the car because you didn't want to come. You didn't want to come. And I sort of like threw you in the back of the car. Oh, wow. See, <laughs> yeah, this, this yeah. is where my yeah, memory yeah, is yeah. gone. This. Got him in the car. <laughs> I said, just drive, Claire. Don't lock the doors. Drive. <laughs> and we got you there. Because I knew, because you, you, you said to me, you, there was times you said to me, Ian, thank you, you believe in me. Mm. You know, because I think you'd, and, and sometimes people, they need that helping hand with someone just to put their arm around them and say, come on, you matter. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you've got a life and just encourage them, you know. Mm. But then my, my view is, if we can't bring you there, where can we bring you? Very true. You, you know, where can we bring you? And I, I thought, no, sorry, I'm, we're going to bring you in there. And we brought you in and um, you was that drunk, we just laid you down. You laid on the floor. And uh, there was a few people, but the majority of the people in there, bless them, Beth, Mark, Claire, Beth and Claire just stood over you and was praying over you. And we were still trying to have a meeting while this was going on. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I, I thought, it was, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It was br- That's what it, you couldn't, you couldn't wrote a script for it, for me. And I've, I just thanked the Lord because mm-hmm. there was a point where you just woke up while, while people were praying for you and Claire and, yeah, being Claire said, do you want to give your life to the Lord, Gary? And you said, yes. There you go, yeah. <laughs> and you said the prayer and everything, then sort of conked back out again. <laughs> yeah. And then the meeting went on and things like that. And I just thought sometimes it's just to get good to get people in that presence, in that environment. It was amazing, that meeting. That, that, that was a real God moment because mm. when we got you outside, Claire was already online getting you into Team Challenge because one thing I will say about you, Gary, you did want it. And I'd say to anyone, like, you know, there is hope and there's always a place, people, you know, but you've got to meet God halfway. Yeah. If you meet, and you was, Gary, and I'll take my, I, 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 it's, it's fantastic to see you sitting here now. It brings tears to my eyes. It does. It makes me emotional. But to see what God has done in your life, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'll say that to anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a man sitting in front of me that was in a real bad way that was on death's door. He was on death's yeah, door. Yeah, he was on death's he door. He was on death's yeah. door because he, he had... If he didn't have alcohol, he would fit and then put the put the psychedelic drugs. Whenever I saw Gary, it was just you had to catch him at the right time because if he, if he was an hour late, he could have already drunk so much drink. Yeah. It was too late, but we just decided to put him in the car that night. You didn't want to come. I'm glad we did. I'm mm. really glad we did because, bless Claire, she sorted out the app. And then what was it, a week later? You was... Oh, I got, yeah, I think a week or so later, I was down for an interview yeah. in East London, Ilford. Yeah. Um, they saw because that, that was John that took me down yeah. that day, um, and you know they they saw in the state I was in that I wanted help. Yes, you know they could see beyond the the alcohol talk and the slur and mm. the, the pride that I had because mm. I was still a very proud, broken yeah. man. As strange <laughs> as that sounds, but the no, it's interesting that you say that. It's, yeah, the the concept of help meant you know you, us as human beings we. We don't want to admit defeat. We no. don't want to admit to weakness. But yeah. but I, I will say I never doubted you, Gary, because I could see in you that you really wanted help. 
and it was like mm. great and you know what I mean and I said to Claire I, you know because I thought you going there signing up for that time to go to Team Challenge was fantastic because it's a big commitment but I, I never doubted you in, in a way because I was although he was excited to see you in these drunken stupors you used to say to me I want to get well in I need help yeah, I, I mean, it, it was the addiction yeah. that was making you like that. But to get you away from the addiction, to look at you now is amazing. You know, this is another, it's definitely um, God at work because. Mm. Divine intervention. Divine part intervention. Two. In, yeah. yeah it, he used me, really he used me and Claire. He yep. used me and Claire to get you into this place. Exactly. Because yeah. if it wasn't for you guys that night mm. and, you know, dragging. Dragging me yeah, to that yeah. meeting because I I was not you coming I was not coming willingly was I that got me to where I am now and Amen. you were the hand and feet of God that night I need to interject here because this is this is quite an important point to to make you know people say with their mouths look I want to help the the people who are addicted to alcohol and heroin and stuff like that but the harsh reality of it is it's messy it's challenging. It's challenging for your forbearance and patience as a person. And I have to give you credit for this, Ian, because, and Claire as well, because what you brought to the table that night was a, a sheer determination, regardless of what was going on with Gary, mm. that you were going to press in and, without judgment, just try and get Gary into a detox and uh, or into uh, rehab it was interesting and I've, I've you know ian knows this i've told him quite a few times that i on reflection i looked you know i had to look at myself because there was times when mm. i was quite challenged by you and your behavior and mm. even though i wanted to help you i was like this is blinking out work do you know what i mean it was just you know from the point of view not to get offended or anything like that mm. but ian taught me mm. that you know a really interesting lesson that it's not easy, but it mm. is. But if you've got determination, I remember, and you won't remember this because you were actually in the middle of doing it. You know, outside the church, it was pitch black, you know, dark, and it wasn't a particularly nice night. Mm. And I remember you and Claire being on Claire's phone, and that's all you had for light. You know, sat on the curb, filling out the form, and you had to try and winkle yeah. information out of Gary, who was. Mm. Not in the best shape, you know, <laughs> personal information to, to fill out the form. And I just remember thinking there's a lesson to be learned here because the sheer determination and forbearance to actually mm. walk through this experience with Gary, even though Gary was not in a good place. Mm. Why am I saying this? Because there will be most probably people listening to this going, yeah, you don't realize what I'm like when I'm wrecked you don't realize what an anvil i can be and then also as well on the flip side of that there will be christians thinking to themselves you know i want to help broken people but it is it's difficult it's messy it is very messy I, I go to a church where i'm very blessed with my pastor it is come as you are you know and he said in church the other day there's a gonna there's a lot of broken people in this church if you're not prepared to help them you're in the wrong church Right, and 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 I, he's a man of my own heart because, you know, especially I had a lifetime of addiction, and if people were to give up on me, you know, I'd probably be dead now, you know. And that that is a difference, you know. You you've got to see past that. There's a person in there that yep. their 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 erratic behaviour is because of the addiction. Yeah, 
It is the addiction, you know, and when we are addicted to things, we do and say things that we don't mean. We hurt the people that are most yeah. close. We hurt the people yeah. that are most close to us, mm. you know, because we, we lash out. I know in my life, I, you know, I, all I can say is I'm not that person no more. But with Gary, I just looked at him and thought, come on, you know, we've got to help this man. Mm. And, and, and look, to see him now. But I think because you've, and I'm not saying that if you have an experience addiction or been through a messy place in your life that you can't help people that are in addiction. That's mm. not true. I think that if you're a patient, forbearing person, yeah, you can. What I come away from thinking with you is because you'd lived it as well, that you had this particular insight into mm. what it's like to be there. Do you know what I mean? I, I think your compassion for Gary, and you've still got that as well mm. for Gary, do you know what I mean? Even though Gary's come out the other end of it all, that's shone through more than anything else. And Jesus, the living Christ, is a, a man full of compassion. Do you exactly. know what I mean? And he yeah. had, when he was on this earth, he had nothing but compassion. Compassion was the main thing he mm. had. Mm -hmm. It talks about in parts of the Bible where it's, it says Jesus wept for people. Yeah. yeah. It was, that night was a life or death yeah. night. Mm. It saved Gary's life. Did? Well, I, I was just privileged to be used by God for the work he's done in Gary's life. Why do you get so emotional all the time with this? I'm just interested I, to know. I don't know. It's just, it, I've, it's more tears of joy. Right, okay. To see, Gary was on death's door. Yeah. And I think, wow. He's I, quite poignant. It's massive to see. Profound. And even. he's one of, and he's just such a success story. And it's proof that if you want it, you can have it. Mm. And Gary's got a new life again now. If Gary hadn't come to, if we hadn't seen Gary and Gary and Gary probably wouldn't be alive now. Oh, definitely not. You know, no, I, was, I don't mean to sound. Let's pick no. up there, Gary. Go on, so tell us so, about so, that. Yeah, that you know that is um, that is a a hard hitting truth that I w I would be dead. Um, I've been told plenty of times by physicians, uh, you know, all all sorts of medical professionals were kind of stunned how I was alive as it was at the time. Mm. They said, "Look, mate, you're." You're going towards certain death, and we won't know when it is. You know, you've been admitted to hospital because you've been found next to a road being hit by cars. You know, you could die that way because you're so reckless. Um, mm. Your liver's packing up. You're you're giving yourself brain damage. Um, you're taking overdoses without realizing you're mm. doing it. You're malnutrited to the point where you know your your body's crying out for sustenance, and all you can do is put alcohol into it, and you're going to die some way, shape or form, and it will happen soon. And that, once again, a reality that I didn't want to face. So my way of facing it was to escape it. So I... So where, on that note then, mm. where did you go to get that help? So where's it, you know, along this story, we feel that, we know that Ian and Claire filled out a form. Where did they fill a form up for? Because this is... so. You probably heard Ian drop the name Teen Challenge in a few times in what he said uh, about 10 minutes ago. And that, that is the facility where I ended up. Um, and it's, it's a place of God-breathed, God-driven rehabilitation. It's a Christian faith-based rehabilitation center. It's more of a discipleship, in all honesty. The facility itself is... Now, it was in East London. It's now um, in Norfolk, up near Norwich. Have they got, they've got quite a few dotted around the country, haven't they? Have they? Uh, or... There's two. There's two male oh, ones in, oh, right, okay. in England, and then there's one 
that's in Scotland. So there's right. three, and okay. then there's a women's facility over in Wales. Oh, um, right. I didn't know that. It's it, it's not too big in the UK, but you go around the world, and there's you know the, I did hear it over a hundred over 140 countries. Mm. I do. It's really got at work in these places because although it has a its success rates vary because um, it's really hard. You know, it's not it's not for the faint-hearted, but it's a place you want to go when you are really on your last leg because that's when you find that you can do nothing in your own strength and capability and you submit to God the Father and let him take over and that's where change begins. At this point, in the juncture of, of what we're talking about, obviously Ian and myself and Claire and Michael, we weren't with you on this part of your journey, which is quite interesting. I know John took you, didn't he? So, yeah, John took me. Um, once again, it's, it's almost a, re a repeat of going to church for the first time. I got so steaming drunk that day that I don't even remember the journey down there. Wow. I remember stopping for breakfast with John. I'd already drunk three and a half litres of strong cider. Um, and then I had a, a red wine with the breakfast. And then we set off to East London, and that's the last thing I remember. And I woke up at the centre down in Ilford. John sent me on my way. <laughs> Did you know yeah. how long you were, how long the program was at this point? Uh, to, mm. I, I knew it was long. Um, I knew it was a because this will be something that people will be thinking. Do you know what I mean about you know if you go into a program because it's eighteen months, isn't it? Is it? So yeah, it's um, it's it's written on the website as eighteen months. I think it's on the website as 18 months, but you do go for an interview and yeah. they let you know that it's it's a long it's a long process because it needs to be because mm. at yeah. the end of the day you think you might you know you you get in the, the deceptive mindset of you've been sober for a couple of weeks, couple of uh, months, oh, and then old. and then you think oh I'm all right I can take on the world no you you're not all right no especially if you've come from a background like me of 20 years of drug and alcohol misuse yeah yeah it's going to take a lot more than two or three weeks to overcome that. It's a lifetime of overcoming it. Yeah. And, you know, you've really got to submit yourself daily mm. to, mm. to to God. Um, that's the only thing that sustains me is to know that I did it my way for long enough to know that it landed me deep in the brown stuff. John dropped you off. You were yep. drunk. Did they have to draw you out to start off with? Yeah. Um, so... That day, I actually started a detox, which is pretty bizarre, really, because I had so much booze in my system mm. that they couldn't, sorry, they, they wouldn't have needed to give me any detox meds till the next day. But obviously, it wasn't a hospital, so they didn't do a load of testing like they would yeah, in a hospital, yeah. so they couldn't risk it. They knew I'd need a detox before yeah. I even got there. We, we established that, and that was all sorted. But no, on the first night, they started giving me clodized epoxide, which is Librium, and uh, B vitamins. And then the next day was rough. It was, yeah, considering I'd only just come out of a hospital detox three days before. Just jumping off the edge of a cliff, I suppose. Yeah, was it? Well, it was I, just... I, came, I came out of that detox in uh, for, for the weekend. That weekend, I had a big blowout and then was back at square one. Well, worse for anyone out there that's a alcoholic dependent alcoholic you'll know that the more you have to be detoxed the more the withdrawals become an issue and they get worse and worse every time so it was an evil one 
It really was evil. It's the only word to describe it. But alongside that, I was in a different environment yeah. having this detox. It was somewhat um, calming where I was, even though it was a very, um, a very get up and go, very energetic program, very uh, demanding. I felt probably the most content after the first day that I have through any detox. And then within three days, I was I was getting on well, and you know I was covered in prayer, right? Daily, um, makes a big difference. Makes a huge difference, and you know it, it was my first few months on the program. I was still really reluctant to submit myself to to God or to listen to words about Jesus to really get involved in what the program was trying to teach me. But that was once again my worldly mindset, my stubbornness, my just my ego getting right. well in the way and yeah it, i remember it's a profound moment in my life i was on that program and i was going to leave i was going to go and stay in a squat near tottenham wow and i'd i'd literally i'd worked it all out i knew what i was going to do i was going to did you know start. these people in tottenham or yeah 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 all oh, right and okay. i was like you know i'm I'm just going to go and start selling ketamine and i'll go and live That's a life crazy we don't know anything about this back in the madness um and i'd spoke to john yeah, and told him that I weren't happy. I hadn't told him what my plan was. Yeah. Uh, I told my mum that I was probably going to leave. She said, oh, I can't have you back here. No chance. You've yeah. only been there for a, however many weeks. You're not, you're far from fixed. And I said, look, this place is just not for me. It's doing my nothing. I can't, I can't submit to this stuff. Mm. But it was that day that I went into my room and I'd been told this from the moment I started the program to that that day they said look you've got to open your heart open your mind mm. get down on your knees and say to god if you're real help me yes and uh it was Man. at that moment i was like i'll give it a go what, yes. what's the worst that can happen either i'm gonna have this yeah. flashbang lightning strike moment and everything's gonna be okay in gary's little world of existence do you know what, gary i've heard that saying so many times like god if you're real mm-hmm show yourself to me or help me and and i've i've heard with things i've done in the christian life and that where that has happened to where he's coming to people's lives so i just say that is a big big god moment amen and god yeah, bless you Gary. you know it, it really did it, yeah it, it, brilliant so, what happened well so I, I i thought you know it can either make or break me this and yeah. regardless mm. i'll just leave mm. it doesn't work um that's my mindset anyway but i tried it and it wasn't a big flashbang moment but yeah. instantly mm. i felt a peace yeah and i thought hang on i love this place i love myself not in a egotistical way but i no. care about myself why would i go out and do that i love all these people around me i think we're all we're all like that when we go anywhere new i think nobody likes change and it's the fleshiness of us that is saying to you get out of here get out of here but if you give god a chance You've only got to look at it and see what he's done in your life, Gary. I say that to anyone who comes to church, you have to surrender. Give it all up. Give it all to the Lord and meet him halfway. And he does. He will help you. I know of a lot of people, when I see addicts come to church, they come. And all I say to them is just surrender. But I don't know if it's fear with some people. They're frightened. But it could be ego as well. Yeah, it's pride. Yeah, pride. It's a lot of things. and it's Because you, you come to church and you do, it says in the Bible, to renew your mind. And God will renew your mind and you'll have a new mindset. So it's funny because I, was, I wasn't I was an atheist, but 
I'd done so many psychedelic drugs and gone to different planes of existence i knew there was a spirit realm so I, ironic really isn't it yeah i about knew it? there was something else out there because i'd i'd been there my yeah. spirit had left my body mm. and it had gone to places and yeah. i knew that but i didn't i'd met what i can only describe as pagan gods in these experiences of mine which they're as real as you and me sat here right now guys like they really are and you get a misconception that these are gods when in reality they are demonic. Ent entities of a demonic nature. Um, and these things will latch onto you and follow you. They will latch onto your spirit. And I, I was, people with that loom group called that I was possessed long before. Mm -hmm. This is going a bit deep now, going into possession and all that, but it's, it's real. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew there was a spirit concept. I just didn't want to believe in one spirit that, existed above all the god the creator just seemed a bit far-fetched i thought gods of everything makes a lot more sense but then that in that moment when i had that revelation of god's love god's peace god's kindness and it filled that void that had been in me for so many years and i thought wow there is a god and he created all the spirits everything and then it made sense it's like hang on there's got to be something that put them spirits there they don't nothing just comes into being you know and then that led me to ask questions and when i started wanting to know more about this god the creator know more about the bible and then wow questions that i've been asking myself for decades started to just answer themselves mm. when you chuck god in the mix a creator and you know the principle what what the bible ex explains about creation it all made sense it all knitted together so free-flowing and so self-explanatory in a way once you put you know biblical context on things yeah so i thought wow this is uh something i could get into and i did what a journey so you're coming to the end of your time at teen challenge now aren't you it's how long have you been there nearly 15 months so yeah i mean it's my program quick, hasn't, hasn't quite been it won't quite be 18 months, but that's right. just how it's panned out for me. I'm slowly establishing myself back into society. I've got a lot of things planned for next year. And yeah, life's life's worth living. Yeah, it's, it's um, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's gone it's gone tenfold of what, what, you know, this. if you told me this two years ago, I'd have laughed in your face and yeah. said, you're nuts. I'm nuts, but you're really nuts. And this is, no. I think it's interesting as well because you're at a point now where having been healed and restored that you now want to, to help other people in that situation and hence that's the reason why we're a gang of us are doing this podcast. Next we're going to hear Ian's story um, about how his life was radically changed. But the irony is that in Ian's restoration, he's he's an integral part of your story, Gary. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that moving forward now that there will be other people sat in that chair that you will have had a hand in um, helping them get back to the path where they need to be. And it's just, I think the reason why we, we you know, we, we want to do this podcast is because it's magical how God uses people that were once sort of abandoned and tossed to the side to actually 
be part of his restoration in other people. It's yeah. almost, sorry, go on. Yeah, to be given new life. To yeah. All of us, we were all addicts. We've all got a new life. I just think it's great. It's great mm -hmm. to see because God's impacted each and every one of us here in, in, in massive ways, massive ways. You know, and I look, I'm looking at Gary. He's like one of the first people I've helped. And to see, see him sitting in front of me the way he is, he's just like, well, it's a miracle. It's, like, a God, it's, it's, it's only it's a God miracle. It's only you know, a God miracle. Of, yeah, you know, not but only has he restored what life I had left, but he's, he's overflowed my cup. Is yeah. is a biblical saying like my cup overflows Close, yeah. because yeah. it really does. You know, my health's intact, my yeah. mental health's intact, my life and relationships are all restored. Everything that was so broken mm. a couple of years ago is now. There's a bit of yeah. a psalm that always comes to my mind. It's it, it always says, "Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I mm -hmm. fear no evil." Fear no evil. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm twenty-three. Yeah. 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 And uh, just one to drop before we stop this episode. Yeah, go for it. So, a concept that I've become really familiar with getting into my head, and you know, I, I've it's been a while now since I first learned this. But I let this resonate in me every day. The further we get away from God is the closer we get to evil. Think of it as a concept of the further you get away from light, there is only darkness. So mm. darkness isn't actually a thing, it's a concept. Darkness is only the absence of light. Light is an element, it comes from a source. So God is our source of light. The further you get away from him, you fall into the darkness, which is evil. So coming closer to God and the things of God will eradicate the evil from your life. So always think about the positives. Think about things that are going to lift your spirit and your mind on into higher, higher places. Always edge towards the light and never, ever dip your toes in the darkness. Amen, Amen. Amen Gary. I think what we, you know, this first episode has been, I'm glad we started with Gary, actually, mm. you know. Even though chronologically, like I said at the beginning, it wasn't, this is not the the beginning of this story of interjecting lives, but I think it was a good place to start because how it's been so miraculous, the, the change that God has made in Gary's life through meeting Jesus. And like he's done with all of us, but particularly Gary, because it's quite recent and you know, that where he was. And, you know, for future, I hope people are listening out there will join us for future episodes because next up, next episode, we're going to be talking to Ian about his life. And trust me, that is a, a colourful roller coaster of a story where with a man who's spent 40 years collecting testimonies, as I'd like to call it, with a life of crime and drugs and the restoration is equally as miraculous as Gary's story but what we will be doing moving forward is you know interjecting back into each other's lives as we draw on our experience from our past lives and the point of this podcast really is to show you people out there that there is hope that no matter where you are in whether it be in your living room in your bedroom whether you are gripped with addiction to alcohol or heroin or crack cocaine 
or whether you're just completely gripped with anxiety and mental health problems and you're just lonely and feeling suicidal you know that there is a way out of this and that is through relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and we will over the forthcoming episodes we will unpack this a bit more but I think for now it's just about meeting you where you are and being able to explain as Gary has so eloquently done with his own life story that it's about just us trying to relate to you and through our own testimonies and stories that you're able to before we unpack anything to do with the gospel that we just we just try and reach out to you in a, in a relational way through our own struggles in the past and that we're able to through our own witness show you through our words that you know there is a way out of this have you got anything to add Ian? I just think as, uh, if there is anyone listening there is a way and it is Jesus you know I, we're all sitting here me Mark and Gary and he's in one way or another he's helped all of us give us all a new life definitely and I just yep. say to anyone you know don't give up don't give up and perhaps Mark will leave away but if there is people that desperate they can get in touch with us sure and we, we can help find you a church or find you somewhere in your local area where you can go you know I'd love to be able to do that well I'm going to be building a website for this particular podcast and just a point of contact from that so I'll reveal that over the forthcoming episodes the podcast is called The Returning and we'll be in touch about the, the website that we're creating as a point of contact to reach out um, to us if you feel that you want to find a church, find yourself a Bible based church wherever you live we live in the Bishop Stortford area so we all go to different churches I'm at New Life Church in Bishop Stortford and I'm at Community Church Bishop Stortford we value how important it is to to try and help people at a loss because it's people's lives at risk and if we can say just from you listening to this podcast it can even just send you on a different trajectory where you just stop and think and maybe just go online and look for a church near you then that's a start so thanks for listening to the first episode thank you Ian thank you Gary Pleasure. and we'll be back with episode 2 where we we have a look at Ian's life and how God has, has, has radically changed him and made him into the new man he is. Thank you for listening to the Returning Podcast and we will see you again soon. At the end of every episode, we wanted to give you, the listener, time to reflect on your own journey. We've carefully chosen songs that reflect the message of that day. We pray that in these moments, Father God will meet you where you are. We look forward to meeting you in the next episode of the Returning Podcast. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment that you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. 
It's true. 